I was uh, four or five when my parents split up, and then it was just my mom and my two sisters and I. And that was probably for seven or eight years. It was hard without having a father figure. Then when my mom met my stepdad in 82, uh, <laughs> here comes this new man in our, our, our lives, and he's uh, taking over my, my place because I'm the, the man of the family. Well, not the man of the family anymore. It's now somebody else's job and role, and that kind of made me feel bad or inferior, I guess. You're not my father, you're my, you marry my mom, you're not my dad. After high school, I couldn't wait to get away from home. So I got up to NC State, no rules, no regulations, and basically dove off the deep end. I wasn't a good person, I was chasing after girls, I was smoking, I was doing drugs, I was in debt ragged, everything, just pretty much miserable at the time. Growing up, I had anger issues. I had anger issues at my dad leaving. So I was just angry at the world, angry at everybody, anything. And somebody looked at me the wrong way. Somebody blinked at me, and I'm ready to fight them. I'm, I'm jumping on top of them. I don't care if I got my butt kicked. I don't care if I kicked their butt. It was just, I'm going to fight to fight. And moved back home. My parents gave me <laughs> an ultimatum. Uh, their ultimatum was, if you live with, in our house, you go to church with us. Uh, okay, I'll go to church. It's like, all right. And I, and I believed in God, just wasn't close to him at that point in time. said, all right, I need to get back on the beaten path. Welcome to week three of our, of our series called Selfless. I, I, love, I love Mark and I love uh, his story. You may have heard uh, in the news this week some uh, stuff about someone named uh, Roseanne, right? You probably heard some of the, the comments that were made and, uh, and maybe some of the impact that that had in the lives of people around her. Let me ask you a question. How would you describe a selfish person? Maybe it'd be simple enough to say someone who just simply just disregards the feelings of others. Or maybe you would say, I don't know, maybe it's someone that, maybe it's not a, a blatant disregard. Maybe they're just so self-absorbed that they just don't even think about looking around. They don't even realize the needs of people around them. Maybe you would describe that as a, a person that uh, maybe says they want to spend more time with their family and yet they choose to take a promotion that is more hours and, and more commitment in their lives. Maybe it's someone who has an addiction that's taking control of, of everything that's going on in their lives. Maybe it's uh, someone who's consumed with getting more and, and getting, uh, getting, making more, whatever that is in, in their lives, right? They're consumed with their status. They're consumed with what other people think about them. Some of you, maybe it's the person that flips you off when you're driving too slow on the highway, right? Which uh, may even have happened to you in the parking lot today. I, I've served as a, a roadie before uh, here at, at our campuses at some of the different events and things that have gone on. There was one time I was trying to direct someone to a parking spot and they had a different idea of where they wanted to park. And as they drove past me, they let me know very clearly that I was number one, right? <laughs> I was like, wow, welcome to hope. Uh, so I, I pray that they would lose their salvation. And, uh, I didn't. I'm just kidding. I can't do that. I just pray that they would get the flu, right? But, uh, but maybe, maybe it's, it's something like that. Maybe it's, uh, have you ever seen someone get angry at a waiter in a restaurant because they asked for, for something, they asked for a glass of water and the, the waiter forgets to, to bring it to them? 
Any of you just get elbowed in the ribs by your spouse because you've been that one in the restaurant that's done that, right? We all get this. We can all connect to this because we are all guilty of being selfish in our lives. It's something that just happens naturally to us. In fact, the Bible calls it sin, and it says that every single one of us deals with this. So the opposite of selfishness is this word selfless, right? And we get that. Selfless people, are the, they're the kind of people that actually make sacrifices to care for the needs of others, right? They're the ones that they discover that the more that they care about others, the more that they invest in the lives of other people, the more they experience love and the more they experience joy and the more they experience satisfaction in their own lives. And that's really what we've been talking about in this series. We began in, in week one saying that, and we looked at a story where Jesus said, hey, the most important thing that we can do is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But he said the second command and the second most important thing is, is just like it. He said that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. That when we see needs in the lives of other people, that we need to be the first ones to respond and to, to simply meet those needs. And then last week we talked about the fact that to grow in our relationship with Jesus, that we have to discover the gifts that he has given to us, that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that he has actually gifted you in a unique way. And when you use those gifts to impact the lives of other people, that not only is their life changed, but your life is changed as well. And so this week we're gonna talk about what does it mean for us to, to serve selflessly? This series has been based on a quote from Pastor Mike's new book, You Can't, God Can, and I, and I stole a quote that said this, that there's no greater joy in life than realizing that God has used you to impact his kingdom by changing another's spiritual destiny. Nothing else comes close, right? And so we've said there's a lot of great experiences, a lot of things that, that happen in our lives, but the greatest experience is when we are used by God to impact the life of someone else. That is the greatest thing. It will never get old. It will never get boring. We'll never not want to use that in our lives. And when we recognize that as followers of Jesus, right, that there should be this growing desire inside of us, our lifestyle should always be pursuing this concept of selflessness, that God can use us to change the life of someone else. We're gonna talk about that today. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. You can follow along. We'll put the verses up on the side screens or uh, as you heard earlier, uh, the app that you downloaded, there is uh, notes on there. There's a place where you can click on that. Uh, you can find all of the verses, all of the points that we talk about each weekend. You can actually make your own notes and then uh, send that to yourself as well. And so you can use the app. Now, let me just give a little bit of background while some of you are still turning to Mark chapter two. In Mark uh, chapter one, uh, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he says, guys, here's what we need to do. We've got to go to all of the other towns that are around here. I need to preach to them too. There's a message of hope. There's a new way of living that I need to share with them. That's actually why I came. And so Jesus and his disciples, they get together and they begin to go out into all the different regions of Galilee and they meet in all kinds of different places. And, and it says that Jesus does that very thing, that he's preaching and it says that he's throwing out the demons, right? Or as, as Jesus would call it, that's Tuesday, right? Because that's just what, that's what Jesus does. He goes around everywhere and he's sharing that there is a new way of living. And he's also get ridding, getting rid of the old life, right? And the old things and the things that are holding us back from that. And so in Mark chapter two, beginning at verse one, it says this. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached 
the word to them. Now, I love this, right? Because we've, we've talked about this before. Everywhere Jesus goes, he attracts a crowd. If you follow him in the gospel stories about the life and the ministry of Jesus, there's always a crowd of people that are gathered around him. And so the crowd that's gathered around him in this story, it would be very similar to, to the crowd that is gathered here today, right? Some of them were skeptical, some of them, their mom made them, them go to hear Jesus, right? And that, and that may describe some of you. And let me just say, we're glad that you're here, even if that is the case. Some of them were genuinely searching for things in their lives. For some of them, maybe, maybe like you, they were searching because they were, they're tired. Tired of trying to do things on their own. Tired of trying to do things their way. Tired of recognizing that no matter what I do, it may feel good for a short period of time, but eventually it just leaves me in this place of missing and longing something. Maybe it was because they were feeling lonely. Maybe that describes some of you. So you can be surrounded by a whole group of people. You can be surrounded by, by friends at work or at school or, or family members, and yet know that inside there's something missing. Maybe it's uh, someone who was trying to find peace. Maybe they were looking for forgiveness, right? They, looking for forgiveness in their life from God, or maybe they were looking for the, the, the power or the help to forgive someone in their life that's hurt them. That was the second group. But then there was a third group that was there that day too. And many in the crowd that day believed that Jesus was God. And they wanted to follow him, which would probably describe most of us that are here today. That most of us, right, would say that's who we are. People were regularly drawn to Jesus. And I believe that it shouldn't look any different in our lives today. People should be drawn to Jesus in us. And so let me ask you this question. Do you live in such a way that people are drawn to Jesus in you? And so we see, right, there's this massive crowd, the house is packed, they're overflowing outside, and look what it says in verse three. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Some men came, right? We, we don't know really much more than that. We don't know who they are. There, there's no names given. We really don't know anything about these guys. What we do know is that they brought a paralyzed man with them. Which leads to all kinds of questions, right? Were, were they friends? Did they, did they grow up together? Were they in, in biology class at Jerusalem High together, right? Or did they bring this guy willingly or, or did they have to convince him, right? Like, were they just walking by and they grabbed him and said, hey, come with us, we're going to see Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe he was in a place, right, where he said, guys, I, I don't wanna do this. Right? I'm tired of trying this. I've tried everything. I've been to every doctor. I've taken every medication, right? I've bought stuff online. I have tried everything. And no matter what I do, it only leaves me in a place of, of disappointment afterwards. I, I, don't, I just don't wanna do this. Maybe, maybe they had heard about Jesus. Maybe he was the one that had heard about Jesus. Maybe he had heard about the healings and the miracles and the things that Jesus did. Maybe he was the one that called his friends and said, guys, will you take me to go see him? So we don't know much about these guys. And we don't really know what they know about Jesus either. Had they met him before? We, we don't know. Had they seen him perform miracles or, or was this just a, a test from them? Or had they simply heard about Jesus' reputation and they believed that, that maybe Jesus could be the hope for their friends? See, it seems likely that these guys had some kind of a relationship. There's some level of, of trust that they have with each other. And it also seems likely that they knew enough about Jesus and his reputation to have enough faith to believe that if they could get their friend to him, that Jesus could do something in his life. Verse four, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Now let's just stop there for a second, right? Because this leads to a bunch more questions. How did they feel? 
right? Were they discouraged? Were they, were they disappointed? Our Apex team, uh, the team that I get to be a part of on, on Mondays after our team meetings, we always go out to lunch together. We go to Moe's, and, um, and so we have Moe's Monday, and we were talking to the manager there a few weeks ago with Cinco de Mayo. They were giving out uh, free T-shirts uh, for a, a limited number of people, and, and the manager was telling us that people were lined up waiting for the restaurant to open, and they were gone within 15 minutes, right? Because people just love free stuff, and, and so they showed up for that. But he said that people kept coming in throughout the rest of the day, and they were asking about their T-shirt. Can I get one of those t-shirts. And he said, no, we don't have any left. They were, they were gone 15 minutes into us opening. And they said that people were leaving disappointed, right? If people get disappointed because of a, a, they missed a t-shirt, imagine what these guys are feeling. Did any of them want to quit? Did, did they say, let's just forget it. Let's just go back home. There's, there's just too many people. There's no way we're going to get to Jesus. How about the guy on the mat? Did his faith begin to waver in this? See, that's why I told you guys I didn't want to do this, right? Just another disappointment. Here we go again. You get my hopes up and, and there's, no, there's no solution. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when things aren't easy in your life? When, you, when things don't go your way, the, the way that you hoped, the, the way that you asked, how do you respond to that? See, look at their response. Look at the rest of verse four. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I love this, right? Because you can see here, one of, them had a, one of them had a great idea. YouTube was created because of guys like this, right? It's like, I've got an idea. Somebody get this on video, right? This is gonna be fantastic. And so they decided we're gonna carry him up to the roof. And you know, another one was like, hey, if we can get on that fence, we can hop on the camel, boom, we're on the roof. We got a plan, right? Like this is, this is fantastic. And I wonder... I wonder if the paralyzed guy is sitting there going, um, no, right? Like, my life is already bad. This could make it worse, right? Like, I don't want to, let's just try again tomorrow, right? We'll come back. Maybe we'll see if Jesus is still here. And what were they hoping to do when they got on the, on the roof, right? Were they hoping there was going to be a skylight and they could just kind of knock on it and look down on Jesus or, or something? Like, when they got up there, did they start, like, searching through their pockets and going, how much is it going to cost, right, for us to tear this roof apart and, and, and replace it? Maybe Jesus will do another one of those, like, loaves and fishes miracles and he'll just kind of fix the roof for us. Somewhere in here, they get on the roof and they make a decision that they were going to start digging, now, the roofs in those days, they were joists, right, that were covered with a mixture of, of mortar and tar and ashes and, and sand. And so they literally had to dig through this roof. Their response, right, th this is my favorite part of this whole story. We're not going to let that stop us. We, we love this guy too much to let that get in the way. We believe in Jesus so much that we're going to do whatever it takes, there's so many questions, right? So many missing details, but, but here's what we know. Nothing is gonna keep us from getting our friend to Jesus. See, they had big faith. They didn't have answers. There was no guarantees here, but they had faith in a God who saves, in a God who heals, in a God who uses people who are all in when it comes to trusting him. These are men that were desperate when it came to getting their friend to Jesus, men that were willing to do whatever it takes. Every weekend, I love, one of my favorite things to do is to talk to, to people that are volunteering, people that are serving at our campuses. And, and sometimes I just ask them, why, why do you serve? Why do you give up your Saturday night? Why do you give up your Sunday morning to, to serve here at Hope? And every time, 
is some variation of, of, of one of these answers. Is, is Donnie, I don't, I don't have to. Donnie, I get to do this. Or maybe it's something along the lines of, I just can't believe that God uses me to fill in the blank. Or maybe it's, Donnie, serving is, it's absolutely changed my life. It has changed my family's life. If you knew who I was before and now the relationships and the things that God has done in my life. In the beginning of, of this series, in our middle school ministry, they began to interview students who were serving and ask them, why is, why is it that you serve in our church? And I heard that one of the students shared this. I serve in Kid City and I love it because it's the very first time that those children get to hear about Jesus. You see, every weekend and every weekday, hundreds of people do whatever it takes to meet the needs of people all around. And let's be real, right? All of us have needs in our lives, but they do whatever it takes to help people meet Jesus. Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. D did you catch that? When Jesus saw their faith. See, I think by the time these guys got on the roof, right? Like if there was any doubt, that doubt was gone when they began ripping up the tiles of the roof and grabbing chunks of, of mud, right? And pulling it apart, right? They are all in at this point. Their faith is that Jesus is going to do something. Let me ask you a question. What role does our faith play in the, in, in the lives of other people? Right? What, what role does our faith play in the life change of others. See, look at how Jesus responds to their faith. It says that he forgives his sin. And I wonder, right? I wonder what these guys are, are thinking. They've lowered their friend down. Are, are they excited that, that Jesus forgave them? Are, are they confused? Are they maybe even a little disappointed, right? Because they came for a different kind of healing. And instead of healing the, the paralysis of his legs, Jesus has chosen to, to heal the paralysis of his heart. How do, how do you respond? How do you respond when, when Jesus does something different than what you wanted, than what you expected or, or hoped for in your life? Do we see spiritual healing as, as maybe more important even than physical healing? Do we, do we pray that way? See, Jesus responds to faith. Look at what it says in, in Hebrews 11, verse six. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, our faith pleases God. It, it's proved by, by how it lives out in our lives. And Jesus responds to faith. Look at verse six. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? See, I want you to notice something that Jesus does here. By forgiving this man's sins, he proved that he was God. So the problem is, though, is that you can't see forgiveness. And so these religious leaders, right, who are gathered here, they're jealous of Jesus' power and his popularity, right? They are shocked by the fact that Jesus would call himself God and forgive this man's sins. See, he is God but they're struggling to see it. And this is so sad, right? Because these are the ones that are supposed to be helping others get to God. And he's right in front of them and they don't even recognize him. And so Jesus proves that he's God for the, the second time by actually knowing what it is that they're, they're thinking and then calling them out on it. And, and I want you to, to hear this as, as encouragement, right? That Jesus is God and he knows everything about you. 
He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you did last night, last week, last year, right? God knows all of those things, just like he knew everything that was happening in the lives of these people in this story. Don't let that scare you, though. I want you to see that as an incredible thing, that God understands you and he cares about you and he loves you as you are. He loves you right where you are to the point that he gave his life for yours. And so Jesus goes on to prove how much he cares by proving for the third time that he's God. Look at verse nine. Jesus says, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The Greek word that Jesus used here to tell the man to, to get up, to take his mat and to go home, it literally means start walking and keep walking. See, what Jesus was saying to him is he said, this isn't just a temporary thing. I want you to know that you have been healed permanently. I want you to start walking and I want you to keep walking. And it says that he got up and, and he walked out. Now, I read that and I'm like, really? That, that's it? He just kind of got up and walked out there? There had to be more. I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says, and the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. See, that's better. I think this dude, when, when Jesus heals him, man, he jumped to his feet and he is high-fiving everybody on his way out. And he's probably doing a little dance, right? As he's, as he's going out the door, right? How would you respond if Jesus not only has forgiven you, but he, but he healed you and, and gave you the ability to walk again? See, his faith is so quick to do exactly what it is that Jesus told him to do. Something that maybe he has never done before in his life or, or maybe it's just been a long, long time. And he's known disappointments. He's tried different things and yet something in this time is different and he jumps to his feet because his faith is in who Jesus is. And so he did it immediately. And I wonder, right, I wonder what the response is of, of his friends, the, the dudes that are up on the roof, because they've been, they've been watching, right, and then they've been waiting for God to, to do this. They tore the roof apart so they could get him to Jesus. And imagine, imagine what they're doing now, right? I don't think they're just calmly sitting up there, right, and saying, well, that was very nice, right? I mean, they are jumping around. They are celebrating, right? I'm, they're trying to figure out how do we get down to him as quickly as possible. Maybe, maybe it even looks something like this. Check this out. Right? I don't know, I don't recommend that, right? But, uh, but maybe, right? Imagine what these guys are feeling. I want you to imagine the joy of the man whose life has just been changed. And I want you to imagine the joy of the men that were just used by Jesus to help their friend. See, you don't go back to normal after something like that. Your life is never the same. When God uses you to impact the life of someone else. Your life is never the same. It doesn't go back to normal because we discover and realize for the very first time maybe that I was made to serve selflessly. Now let me make a couple observations about this passage. The first is this, faith in Jesus is shown by serving others. See, our faith was never meant to be a private thing. 
Our faith was always meant to be on the outside. It was meant to be, to be observed. It was meant to be seen in the lives of people around us. Our faith in Jesus should cause us to see the needs of people all around us, just like these four men did with their friend. Our faith in Jesus, not only that, but it should cause us to believe that, that Jesus can do something in the lives of those people. Our faith should always lead to action. And even when things seem impossible, like it did for these guys, our faith in Jesus should cause us to do whatever it takes to get people into the presence of Jesus. James chapter two, verse 14 said this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself, it isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. When Jesus sees their faith, he responds. When he sees our faith, he will respond and lives are changed as a result. Here's the second thing. Meeting the needs of others gives my life meaning. See, we weren't created just to take up space. We weren't created just to make money and to accumulate stuff. We were created to serve and to meet the needs of others. Ephesians 2.10 says that for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's handiwork. The New American Standard Bible says that we are God's workmanship. The New Living Translation says that we are, we are God's masterpiece. Do you see the passion behind? It wasn't just some mass marketing thing. God created you uniquely and individually. Why? Created to do good works. There's a purpose for your life and a purpose for my life. And, and maybe the most amazing part to me in this verse is that he prepared these things in advance that God had a plan for you that only you could accomplish. That's how much God loves us. See, when we give our life to God, when you follow him, when you do whatever it is that, that he says, when we serve others and put their needs in front of our own, when we become selfless, we discover what it means to really live. See, God has given us free will, but he also has a plan for our lives that only, only we were designed to fulfill. See, I guarantee that day on the roof, those guys didn't say ever, right? There wasn't a, I wish I'd slept in this morning, right? Like, I'm, I'm tired, or I wish I, had, I wish I had kept my golf appointment, right? I should, have, I should have gone and played this morning, or I wish I had gone to the office and, and put in a few more hours. I got a big presentation uh, next week. I, I really should have done that. I guarantee no one said, I only did this because my wife made me, right? Like, you didn't hear those things from those guys, but I do promise you that they said something along the lines of this. I am so glad that I did this. There is nothing else that would be as rewarding as this. I was made for this. I was made to serve selflessly. See, you were made to significantly impact the life or the lives of other people. We were made to serve selflessly. I want you to take a minute and I want you to watch the rest of, of Mark's story. Turn your attention to the side screens. When I got to Hope, I can't remember his name, but the guy who greeted me shook my hand, said, welcome to Hope. What can I do? What, can I help you find a seat? Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. And then the second time I came back, he even said, hey, Mark, how are you? 
he remembers my name. Ah, how the heck do you remember my name out of 300 people or 400 people? And he's like, well, you're new. And I make it my point to remember new people so that they feel welcome. And I'm like, well, that's welcoming. And I started listening to Mike's sermons and I really enjoyed the way he did his sermons and I really enjoyed his messages. Well, one of the messages he had was service. And he's like, well, if you're gonna come to church, why don't you serve? And then I worked with Cindy and Cindy was one of those that said I, I should do large group. Are you talking about the person that gets up there in front of everybody and makes a fool of himself? No, you're crazy, there's no way. You have a good rapport with kids. And I'm sitting thinking, how do I have a good rapport with kids? I can't stand, I don't really like them that much. And she's like, yeah, you would be really good. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. So I thought about it and I'm like, all right, I'll try it. And the more and more I taught, um, the more and more I enjoyed teaching. And then especially the elementary age, because if you've ever taught kids and you see when they get a concept or when you see when they understand something, it's just like the little light goes on. I mean, it's literally like the cartoon where the light, light bulb goes over their head and you're like, I reached somebody, I got somebody. I've had parents that have come and told me that they've come back because their kids have wanted to come back. If that's, if that's what God wants me to do, well then that's great. I mean, because I'm here for the kids, but if the kids can bring their parents or their friends, then that's a, that's a win for everybody. And I try to get them to realize that God loves us no matter what. He accepts us for who we are. If, they can, if he can take a angry young man who hated children and bring them to the church and where he's teaching children and loves it, and when he misses it, he's, he's miserable. I mean, he can do anything. <laughs> yeah, I love Mark. There goes any excuse that you may have had for, uh, for not serving, right? Our, if you've been around Hope for any length of time, you know that our mission as a church, and it's really our mission as individuals, is to love people where they are and to en encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. See, you might not ever, you might not ever tear a roof apart and, and see a, a paralyzed man walk, but we all know that there are people in our lives every single day that are wrestling with all kinds of difficulties, whether it's at school or work. Maybe they're working multiple jobs just to get by or they're dealing with some kind of, of health issue. They're struggling in their relationship with their spouse or, or with their kids. They're dealing with some kind of an addiction or, a, or, or depression. They're all around us. They're in our lives. See, we need to get to the place where loving people where they are becomes our greatest mission. And it is the most important thing, no matter what the cost is. Because when we look at the cost, we realize that people's lives hang in the balance. See, selfishness makes comfort and convenience the greatest priorities. Selfless people, they make the needs of others the priority. See, there's always gonna be obstacles. There are always gonna be difficulties. There's always gonna be reasons why it would be easier for us to quit and go back home. Imagine if these guys had chosen that. Not only would they have lost out on this, but the entire crowd that was left stunned and amazed would have missed out on this miracle of Jesus. See, I'm not gonna lie to you guys and tell you that it's gonna be easy, it's not. But when we're more committed to the mission, we will get to a place where we are willing to do whatever it takes. Here's the good news. Most of us aren't gonna have to tear a roof apart, but maybe we're gonna be asked to hold a door or to hold a child. Maybe it's to lead a small group or, or to work a, a camera. Maybe serve someone a cup of coffee 
or help them find a parking space or, or a place to sit. Maybe it's helping build or, or repair something in, in someone's life. Maybe it's offering food to a family so that they can go home and eat that week. Maybe it's helping a student in middle school or high school navigate some of the most difficult years in their lives. See, selfless people get that our job, our responsibility, our privilege is to love our neighbors, to look for needs in their lives and then to simply meet them, to put ourselves in places where we can make a difference, to discover the gifts that God has given us and to use those gifts to impact the lives of others, recognizing that I was made to serve selflessly. Let me close with this. Could you imagine what this would look like today if, if I had a microphone and I was able to, to pass it around, right, and, and, and pass it to people and ask them to share, why is it that you, you serve selflessly? Why do you use your gifts to, to influence and to impact the lives of others? There's two reasons why we're not gonna do that today. One is that we're too big and it would take way too long. The second is that when you give people a mic, they say, they say crazy things, right? And so that's why, that's why we use video a lot because we can edit the crazy right out of something, right? And so that's why we, we do that. But what if I was to take a microphone and I was to give it to the first person and they were to say, hi, my name's John and, and I've discovered that I have the gift of mercy. And so I serve in local hope in our food pantry. And then I love the chance that I get to give a, a glimpse of hope to someone who, who's in an overwhelming circumstance in their life, maybe simply by just giving them a, a bag of food. I was made for this. And John takes a microphone, he passes it to Sue and Sue says, I, I've discovered that I have the gift of administration. And I love to serve behind the counter at, at Kid City, uh, the check-in counter, where I can comfort and, and help new families or, or parents to let them know that their kids are gonna be safe and they're gonna be cared for in Kid City so they can go and they can worship. I was made for this. And Sue passes it on to, to David. David's one of the tech guys. Right? And he says, you don't get to see me a lot because they put me in a, in a separate room with a glass wall, right? <laughs> so we're not part of things. That's for your, uh, for your protection that we do that. But, but maybe they sit back there and, and he says, you wouldn't know the words to the songs. You wouldn't see the verses of scripture if, if I didn't do my job. And maybe I'll never be on stage, but every single weekend, I feel like I'm sharing Jesus with you. I was made for this. And David passes the mic over to Logan. Logan's one of our high school students. Logan says, I've got the gift of, of evangelism and I want my friends to know Jesus so badly that I started a ministry at my school. I was made for this. Logan passes it on to Ashley. Ashley says, I, I'm shy. I've got the gift of encouragement. So my small group, what we love to do is we actually love to go down to the local seniors center. We love to spend time with them and play games with them, listen to their stories and watch the smiles on their faces. I was made for this. Ashley passes it to Deb and Deb says, I'm, I'm part of the prayer team here at Hope. I love Jesus and I love people and I have time in my life and one of my favorite things to do is to simply pray. I, I could pray the paint off the wall, right? And, and so the church actually gives me prayer requests for people and I spend my days on my knees lifting up your prayers to our loving Father. I was made for this. She passes it on to Matt, and Matt says, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have the gift of goofiness, and so I serve in our middle school ministry. And they're squirrely, and the smells are indescribable, right? But I, I love helping them understand that God has uniquely gifted them for a role in this world. I was made for this. And Matt passes the microphone to me, and I say, I'm... 
I'm Donnie, and I'm no different than any of you. I'm just a follower of Jesus. I have a gift of maybe leadership, maybe, maybe teaching, and I just love taking people on a journey. I was made for this. Here's the question that I wanna ask you. What are you made for? In just a minute at all of our campuses, our hosts are gonna come back out and they're gonna tell us how we can be involved, how you can be used by God to make a difference in the life of someone else. Will you join me as we pray? Father, thank you. God, you did whatever it took to win us back to you. You did that by sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that through your death and through your resurrection, through your grace and mercy and your love for us, that we can be called your sons and daughters, that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be reunited into our, the family of God, that what you created and intended from the very beginning can be restored in our lives because you did whatever it takes. God, will you help us to trust you God, will you help us to recognize and to understand that the greatest experience in our lives will be when you use us to impact the life of someone else. Help us to love people where they are, to see their needs and to meet them. God, help us to discover how you've gifted us and to use those gifts to impact the lives of others. And God, will you help us to have the, the passion and the identity and, and the goal of doing whatever it takes to help people meet Jesus. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen.